Hey, this is T.T. Benjamin from the Lawful Great Adventures podcast, and you are listening to Tale of the Manticore. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tail of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. The last chapter begins with the PCs riding south towards the town of Brannon. They are providing some help in carrying out a scheme dreamt up by another gang within their own guild. The idea is this. Having dropped a few hints about a merchant moving from the big city to a country residence, they hope to tempt the Weeping Eye to strike a certain caravan. If the Wings bought the story and took the bait, they would send only a few men, with those men expecting to waylay a couple of wagons containing no more than the merchant's wife, children, and a couple of drivers. It should have been an easy, if somewhat minor, operation. But something goes horribly wrong with the plan. Was it Janelle or Easley who betrayed them? Someone did. And now a gang of weeping eye thieves, led by a warlock named Suro the Mad, does indeed accost them on the way to Brannon. But instead of facing three or four enemies, the church members are surrounded by over a dozen. Worse, the warlock has cast a web of dark magic over the first wagon, trapping half of the church members inside. These weeping eye thieves make it clear that they are there specifically to kill Yellowfly's gang, so it would seem that combat is inevitable, and things do not look good at all for the PCs, who are outnumbered almost two to one. This is no April Fool's episode. This one is going to get deadly very quickly. When you roll a one, you pay the price. And last episode, when I checked to see if the church's trap would work as planned, I rolled a one. The PCs have never been in as much danger as they are right now, and I'm very concerned. This kind of fight, when it's many against few, is especially deadly. It's not that the Weeping Eye are better fighters. In fact, it's just the opposite. The church members are the more skilled. What I'm worried about is the much greater chance for crits to happen. A single critical hit could take out one of my PCs in a single shot. Furthermore, there is no chance to run. To escape the Ring of Steel they find themselves in, they are going to have to cut their way out. And I do not doubt that the snow will be stained red with blood before it's over. There is one little bit of grace before we get into combat, and that is a level up. It's Yellowfly's turn to advance, and I think he's going to need every extra hit point. For reaching level 4, Fly will get an extra d8 of hit points. Rolling. Oh, a 7! Yes! That was lucky, and it might save his life. Though, honestly, it's not Fly I'm especially worried for right now. A bit more in the way of good news. At this level, he also gets an attack bonus of plus 2. That'll be useful. Finally, he gets the chance for attribute bonuses. There's no time like the present. Let's see what the dice have in store. Strength. A six. His 13 goes to a 14. No changes to his rolls here, but that is a great start. Intelligence. 
I've got a four. Wisdom, a two. Dexterity, another four. Constitution, what? Another six. What more could a fighter want than plus one to strength and to constitution? His nine goes to a 10. Charisma, can we get a hat trick? A one. But listen, this has been an amazingly good level up. Fly has really jumped forward in power. I hope it will be enough. Chapter 28, Part 1, Day 107, Early Evening, Party Status, Yellowfly, 26 of 26 hit points, Cole, 18 of 18, Shawnee, 16 of 16, Catsbane, 8 of 8, Spells Available, Catsbane has memorized Magic Missile times 2 and Mirror Image. A bristling ring of blades and menace surrounded the wagon bed, whose walls had dropped and now provided ramps leading up on both sides and the rear. The companions, desperate and surrounded, backed into each other, staring at the ring as it cinched ever tighter. A few brief words were exchanged between both sides, but it was quickly clear that talk was not an option. Try to leave one alive, kill the rest. Upon the red-haired wizard's command, the two sides smashed together in an explosion of muscle, sweat, and steel. Let's pause the video. There's a few things to work out before combat happens. The church members face 11 one-hit die brigands. Each brigand wears leather and furs with no shield that provide an armor class of 12. For the sake of speed and simplicity, they will each have the same hit point total of five. Sero the Mad is a fifth level wizard with 11 hit points and an AC of 10. He'll be guarded by two second level fighters wearing chainmail. These bodyguards have an AC of 14 and 9 and 13 hit points. They have orders to protect Suro and they will not participate in combat unless Suro is directly threatened. We're almost ready. I just need to generate quick stats for the three NPC allies. Danilon is a second level fighter with the min out of 8 hit points. Fia is a second level rogue with ooh, also the min out 4 hit points. Jace, the driver, is a second level fighter who has Whoa, that's more like it. Double eights. Jace has 16 hit points. All three wear leather armor with no shield, giving them an AC of 12. Considering everything from the wagon's walls falling down like ramps to the sudden brightness of the snow, I am hand-waving surprise rolls. Also, at least for the first round or two, there will be no chance for escape or a fighting withdrawal for the PCs. Not only are they surrounded on the wagon bed, but the wagon itself has nowhere to go, being effectively blocked by the lead one, which has been completely immobilized and taken out of the fight. This is going to be an extremely dangerous few minutes for the PCs, but I think I'm ready. So, let's go. Entering combat. Round one, initiative. The church, a four. The weeping eye, okay, another four, simultaneous. Both sides plunge into battle and strike at the same time. Anyone who falls this round will get the chance to retaliate. We'll begin with the church. Fly needs a 9 to hit his enemy. A 5. Between the incoming sword and spear, Fly cannot get close. <coughs> Shawnee is next. She needs a 12. An 18. She also faces a spear and a sword, but she gets past their guard and hits the spearman for 2 points. Not bad. <coughs> Cole's up. 
He needs a 10. Exactly a 10. Cole brings his axe down hard over a spearman's head. Cole's axe does six damage, splitting the spearman's skull. It's the first death on this snowy battlefield of what will very likely be many. Catsbane is next. He will not make a melee attack. Instead, he will try to cast Mirror Image. But if he takes any damage this round, the spell will be disrupted and lost. It's a gamble, but with an AC of 11, he really needs this to work. Danelon needs a 12 to hit. A 9. A bad roll. His mace glances off the boiled leather shoulder guard of his opponent. <coughs> Fia is up next. She needs a 12 to hit. A 17 is more like it. Fia's sword finds a gap in the other man's armor and does... 6 points. Ah, another brigand, a brute with a battle axe, is slain. <coughs> Last up is Jace. Jace needs a 12 to hit. No, a 9 is not enough. Another near miss, Jace is finding it hard to maneuver in his driver's box. Ha! Was that a good start? Uh, I'm not really sure, but we're about to find out. It all depends on how the Weeping Eye rolls. The Brigand on Fly needs a 14 to hit him. He's got a 3. Fly easily parries the clumsy blow. Die! Fly has another man on him, and this man also needs a 14 to hit. Ooh, a 16 is a hit. A spear tip slips in and does three points, raking him across the ribcage, shearing through his chainmail, but thankfully not cutting him too deeply. There are two brigands facing Shawnee. They also need a 14 to hit. I'll roll both of their dice at the same time. Okay, I have a 10 and a 9. She manages to smack away one weapon with her sword and contorts her body around a second, a spear, as it darts in, but pierces only the air. Cole also faces two opponents, and they both also need 14 to hit him. The first one rolls... A two. It's not even close. Ha! The winks are rolling as poorly as the church, luckily. The second one rolls. A one. That is a critical fail. Cole has managed to step down hard on the spear shaft as it comes in. <clears throat> the surprised brigand loses his grip, and the weapon clatters to the ground. Catsbane faces only one, but his enemy only needs an eleven to hit him. Please, please, please miss. A five. Yes. Catsbane is able to get his spell off after he ducks under the incoming spear tip. Over to Fia. She faces two, and they only need a 12 to hit her. The first one. A 17. A spearhead catches her. Two points. That didn't seem so bad, but that's actually half of her hit points. She's only got two left. There's another one. A 20. Oh, there's no need to roll for damage here. Put off balance by the first spear hit, Fia fails to avoid the battle axe blade that hooks under her ankle and pulls her off her feet. <gasps> the second blow of the axe slams down into her abdomen, cleaving it open and spilling her entrails all over the wagon bed. <laughs> Fia sees loops of her own guts hanging out before she dies. Behind her is her brother Danelong. He's not aware of his sister's fate. He's got problems of his own. His enemy rolls. A one. Another crit fail. Danelon kicks this man in the face and sends him sprawling backwards into the snow. <laughs> this brigand will miss his next turn. Finally, Jace faces one enemy. This man needs a 12 to hit. A 9. Jace ducks into the protection of his box before the enemy can return a strike, and the spear aims too low. It bites harmlessly into the wood. <laughs> and that concludes round 1. Two of the brigands are dead, and two have crit fumbled. Fia has died, and it was not a good death. But I think the companions are not doing too badly overall. Certainly, there is no opportunity to escape yet, as they are still very much surrounded. Well, I think there's nothing else to do but move on to round two. Initiative. 
the church. A one. The weeping eye. A six. <laughs> Serves me right for saying the PCs are doing all right. The dice gods do not like that kind of commentary. I should have known better. Okay, there are two men attacking Fly, and they both need a 14 to hit. The first rolls. A 15, that's a hit. A spear tip slips through his guard and slices him again for... Ooh, six points. Fly is now down to 15 hit points. <laughs> the other man on Fly rolls. A 14, that's another hit, and this time with a long sword. Oh dear. A D8 for damage. Ooh, phew, I got a one. <laughs> Shawnee also has two men attacking her. A 12. She parries a blow. The next attack. A one. Another crit fail. And another turn lost. Speaking of, both the men on Cole and Danilon missed their turn this round for their crit fails in round one. That brings us to Jace. He has two men on him now, and they both need a 12 to hit. The first rolls. A 19, and a 19 definitely hits. Four. Six points. Jace gets a spear right under his ribs. <laughs> The next brigand rolls. An 18, oh, another hit, and another six. Another spear punches through his leather armor right beside the first one. Brutal. Jace is pinned in his box by two spears whose wielders twist the shafts, making him scream. But miraculously, these wounds, either of which would have killed a lesser man, do not end his life. He still has four hit points remaining, but he does not look good. We finish off with Cat's Bane, the Axeman on Catsbane blinks and shakes his head. When he tries to aim a blow, he sees triple. He swears and swings his axe, but only succeeds in slicing air. One of the images is dispelled, but he is still seeing double when he next looks at his strange opponent. Well, that was not good at all. Let's hope the companions can give as good as they got. Fly needs a nine to hit his opponent. A four, are you kidding me? Yellowfly is starting to panic, he can't hit anything. Let's hope for better luck for Sean A, who needs a 12. A 17 is a hit. Four. Five points. Good. This is enough to kill yet another brigand. Cole needs just a 10. He's got an 11. That's enough. Cole swings his axe looking for another kill and hits. Four. Six damage. He opens his six-inch cleft in the neck of the man nearest, and the enemy drops his weapon, uselessly trying to keep his blood from exiting his body. He bleeds out in a few seconds and crumples down into the snow. Cole is now free to help either Catsbane or Yellowfly. I wonder which one of them he will help. I guess we'll find out later. For now, it's Danilon's turn to attack. Now he needs a 12 to hit. When 11 is a miss, his opponent gets his weapon up just in time to block Danilon's attack. <coughs> that brings us to Jace. Jace needs a 12 as well. A 12. Oof, that just makes it. Jace manages to free himself from the spears that have pinned him and slashes out with everything he's got. He wounds one of the brigands for three points. <clears throat> Round two was, well, I'll refrain from commenting. I don't want to rain any more bad luck down on the PCs. Instead, I'll just take stock. One PC and four of the 11 brigands are down. Two of the brigands and two of the companions have also sustained significant wounds. This next round will be a decisive one, I think. Round three. Initiative. The PCs really need to win this one. The church. A four. That's not bad. The weeping eye. A two. Yes. This might be the break the PCs need. Okay, now Fly has to roll a nine to hit. An eleven. Now that's not a great roll, but it is, finally, a success. Fly's longsword flashes in and catches the sword-wielding brick in four. 
5 plus 1 is 6 damage. That is enough to kill the man. Attaboy, Yellowfly. Thanks for showing up. <laughs> Shawnee is up next. She needs a 12. A 15. Now, facing only one man, Shawnee's skill proves to be the superior of the two. Her short sword plunges through his defenses and strikes for... 5 damage. Another member of the Weeping Eye breathes his last breath and falls under her blade. Now it's Cole's turn. He needs a 10. Another 15. I am on a roll. 4 plus 2 for his strength is 6 damage, and the man threatening Catsbane succumbs to Cole's axe. Interesting to see who Cole decided to help out there. Catsbane is free to choose a new target now, and he doesn't even have to roll to hit. His third eye opens and fires a white blast of energy at the nearest man, an axe wielder trying to cut Danelon's feet out from under him. The magic missile will do two to seven points of damage. Rolling. Four points. Not quite enough to kill, but very nearly. The brigand has just a single hit point now. Danelon faces the man who was just hit by that magic missile. He'll need a 12. A two. Uh, and I thought this might be a flawless round. That magic missile must have actually thrown him off. He wasn't expecting anything like that to happen. Ha! The last of the companions is Jace. He also needs a 12. Natural 20. Wow. Jace, still bleeding heavily from the two spear wounds, throws himself off the wagon bed and onto one of the men who struck him. The brigand falls prone under the impact, and Jace, now straddling him and pinning him to the snowy ground, shoves the blade of his short sword, two-handed, into his chest. No need to roll for damage. This man is dead. <coughs> the Weeping Eye may now take their turn, but things are not looking so good for them. Four of them fell, and another was mortally wounded in the last few seconds. They are down to just three men, one of which will miss his turn for a previous crit fail. It's time for a morale check. But that's not the only new development. Suro's bodyguards now have their bows out and will be shooting into the melee in the next round. Suro himself has produced a torch and a tinderbox from his pack and is calmly trying to get it lit. Okay, back to that morale check. This is just for the three men actively in the melee, by the way. Their morale score is pretty high, a 10, mostly because they fear Suro even more than the church. On a 2d6. I've got an eight. Well, with that roll, they certainly consider running. But when nobody breaks, they each decide to stay and fight. Let's see how they fare with their counterattacks. On fly, this man needs a 14 to hit. A 7 is a miss. The tide has clearly turned, and the attack has no confidence behind it. Yellowfly parries it with ease. Ha! You'll have to do better than that. The brigand on Danelon. He needs a 12. A 15. Oof, Danelon is hit. The man is using a battle axe, so a high roll could kill him. The roll on a d8. A five. That's a nasty wound, but not a death blow. Danelon is down to three hit points. Die! Oh! The first bodyguard. I'm gonna roll a random target for him since he's just basically firing at whoever. Okay, he's chosen Cole. That makes sense. He needs a 14. An 11. The arrow whistles past Cole's ear, alerting him to the new threat. Bodyguard number two. I'm rolling again randomly for a target. Okay, it's Shawnee. He'll need a 14. A 12 on the die. It's close, but it's not a hit. Another arrow sails through their midst, but passes through without striking a target. Suddenly, high ground does not feel like the best place to be anymore, and Yellowfly yells for everyone to Get down on the ground! Get behind the wagon! That concludes round three. And now, here's a question. 
At this point in the combat, the odds have evened out, but that does not mean the companions would want to stay and fight. The safety of the woods is right there, an easy distance to cover. Suro's men were eyeing it just a moment ago. Yellowfly and the others could probably beat these remaining eye members in a fight, but there's no guarantee. There's still a risk they'd lose someone else, and is there really anything to gain from trying? Well, yes, there is. As much as the PCs would be better off running, they cannot abandon the other six church members who are trapped in the webbed front wagon. Suro the Mad is now holding a flaming torch, and it's not hard to imagine what would happen if he lobbed it onto the wagon's linen roof. So that means we are back to combat. It is round four. Initiative. The church. A four. Pretty good. The weeping eye. A one. I think this means the companions have leapt down from the wagon and used the momentum to gain the upper hand. Okay, Fly needs a nine to hit. He's got a 13. He does. Eight points of damage. <laughs> Yellowfly runs one of the remaining spearmen through. Shawnee needs a 12. A 16. Clearly the tide has turned and the church members are riding a wave of momentum. She does. Six points with her short sword, killing this man in a series of well-armed strikes. Cole will need a 10. A 15. Cole jumps off the wagon, landing on the last brigand and knocking him to the ground. This man had just one hit point, so there's no need to roll. Cole's axe rises and falls as he ends the brigand's life. Now it's Caspian's turn. He slips off the wagon and blasts a second magic missile at one of the archers. The hit is guaranteed, but three points of damage is not nearly enough to take him out. Dandelon is last clutching his bleeding abdomen with his offhand. He smashes the hinges of the wagon wall ramps with his mace. And between it and the horses and the wagon itself, Jace manages to hold up the wooden board as effective cover, just as the archers each send arrows into them. Combat is effectively paused now, but Sir the Mad has not been idle. He has managed to light a torch and, holding it high in the air, announces, Your friends here will all die, but you can save them. Send the one called Yellowfly out from hiding. Have him surrender himself to me, and I will spare your friends. Otherwise, every one to a man will burn alive. Are you ready for a journey into the unknown recesses of what lies beyond your perception? Where's my fucking aunt? I never even got to meet up with her that night. How did you find the blood then? Will you heed the call? Of Cthulhu. That's not true. Cthulhu is sleeping. We are that Cthulhu John, a real play 7th edition Call of Cthulhu podcast. I'm a Navy gravy baby. <laughs> Join us for mystery and the mind bending atrocities of the uncaring cosmic mythos. Stuffs that thing in there, kicks the body in the face, makes sure it trunk closes. <laughs> <laughs> Try to keep your bearings if you must, but sanity is overrated. <laughs> Yellowfly and the companions do not expect what happens next. Danelon, it seems, has just seen the body of his sister, with her guts spilling out of her abdomen and a terrible expression of agony frozen on her face. Although he's bleeding heavily from a wound in his leg, without warning, he limps out into the open and says in a loud, clear voice, I am Yellowfly. Throwing his mace aside, he begins hobbling towards the trio, standing just a few dozen yards away, with the web-encased wagon to their backs. Yellowfly, upon hearing Danelon use his name, stops what he's doing. 
While the mage had been making his threats, he had been searching for the single crossbow bolt that had fallen out of Danelon's dropped weapon. The crossbow itself he had already handed to Shawnee, but the bolt had been lost in the snow. Now he realizes what's happening and shouts, Danelon, no! He begins to stand, but Shawnee stops him, grabbing him by the front of his hauberk and yanking him back down into cover. By this time, it's too late. Danelon, exposed, has only taken a few steps when Soro the Mad lobs his torch atop the other wagon and his bodyguards release their bowstrings in tandem. <clears throat> the force of the arrows, thudding into his chest, knocks Danelon onto his back, stone dead, with the feathered shafts sticking out of his chest, pointing straight up at the sky. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore, and please stick around for yet another postscript after the credits. It's the show's three-year anniversary. If you've enjoyed the show and would like to help out, there are lots of ways to do so. You could recommend it online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can pick up One Shot in the Dark, the Pendulum World Building Tour, or Encyclopedia Manticorica on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. Thanks to everyone who has supported the show over the past three years. I'd like to take a moment and share one of your kind reviews right now. This one is on the Podbean app. It was posted by Neon Pizza. Neon Pizza writes, Pretty much the only actual play I can listen to, and so much more. John really manages to capture many of the great things about TTRPGs here. Thanks very much for that great review, Neon Pizza. I also have a hard time finding APs that I can really get into, though they are out there if you search for them. One of the reasons I run ads in the middle and end of the show, even if doing so is a little controversial, is to encourage folks to try new podcasts and to help them find something new to enjoy. Speaking of controversial, up here in Canada, we put pineapple on our pizza. Did you want to weigh in on that? I thought I should ask. With that said, at this point, I'd like to thank my excellent cast of voice talent. Back to play Danelon is Michael Waldschlager II at LoserMLW on all socials. Michael can be seen and heard in Redemption, the Star Wars actual play podcast, Chaos Inc. at twitch.tv slash identico, and A Time of Mask and Daggers, a Dragon Age stream at twitch.tv slash rookandrasp. Also returning to the show to play Suro the Mad is Blythe from the Grognard Files. Thanks to you both, Michael and Blythe. If listeners want to get in touch with me, I'm at Manticore Tale on Twitter or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. And there's always email, taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. Finally, I keep a blog where I post all kinds of show and RPG-related stuff, like art, maps, tables, crafts, and show notes. You can find it at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore. The story where chaos rolls. Postscript. Vessel Luna's Tears. Another anniversary has come. Has it really been three years? It has gone by so quickly. I'd like to take this chance to express my sincere thanks to all of you, the show's listeners, for your support and loyalty and encouragement and enthusiasm. Totem has been downloaded well over 300,000 times. It's a number I never dreamed of. Totem fans really are the best. I know I repeat myself often, but I hope you will believe me when I say that every email, every tweet, every comment, every review or rating really charges me up with new energy. Even the response to One Shot in the Dark, Encyclopedia Manticorica, and Pendulum have been awesome. I am truly very lucky, and I am grateful. Special thanks for Season 2 go to Kai Ellen, who has really been there for me as a guest actor. His work is always top-notch, and he's a fantastic guy to boot. Thank you, Kai Ellen. 
Well, folks, I hope you're enjoying the different flavors of Season 2. Things are about to take a dark turn, so stick with me and we'll explore this story together. Before I sign off, here's my annual tradition of Tale of the Manticore by the Numbers. One, total party kill. Three, items published to drive through RPG. Three, dice making posts to the blog. Six, miscellaneous craft reports posted to the blog. Eight, brief diegetic songs performed. Nine, story so far bonus episodes. Twenty-seven, guest introductions for the show. Thirty-two, combat sequences. Thirty-six, level ups earned. Thirty-nine, guest voice actors in this season alone. Seventy-seven, different cross-promotion partners. Eighty-four, original short musical scores recorded. Ninety-one, guest voice actors in total, voicing almost one hundred characters. One hundred and four, full episodes, including two episode zeros. Plus, over two hundred and sixty-five blog posts. Boatloads of Easter eggs, mostly referring to OSR classics, but also listeners' names, sometimes rearranged into anagrams, sometimes hidden in plain sight. More love, passion, and dedication than I can measure to make this podcast into something truly special and different. One massive thank you to you, the listener. Well, that's enough celebrating. Until we meet again, take care, and whenever possible, try to avoid speaking a demon's true name aloud.